Welcome to Sellersburg United Methodist Church Podcast, where we bring our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world to you, wherever you are. so good to be here, even if it's virtual. It feels like that's, you know, not preferred. And and we, we can admit it's not. We like being here together. We like being a part of this church and this space. We like gathering together and, and remembering all it is that we tend to forget when we're away from this space. Here is a place where we can truly come as we are and be accepted and welcomed. What a great place to be. And I'm excited for us to be back here again. And and many of you have long been a part of this church. And even if you've never been a part of this church, you're part of a church. Or maybe if you've never been part of a church, you at least know something about church and the story of faith that this church represents. You've seen a church, maybe. You've heard something about Jesus. Or or maybe you can picture an iconic pastor like Billy Graham. Maybe you can picture a great missionary like Mother Teresa. Or you've seen the Pope. Or maybe you're even familiar with a name that maybe you don't normally associate with church, like the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, who's so known for his work in the civil rights that sometimes people forget that he preached a lot. A wonderful preacher and pastor, a wonderful leader and prophet. Everyone at least has heard about Christmas and Easter, right? I mean, everyone has not only heard, but probably participated in some sort of activity related to these holidays that are faith-based, yet don't always know that what we're doing is faith-based. And we can judge that or just acknowledge it and say, yeah, okay, we're with you. We understand something about this faith. And there are many directions that people have gone with this faith in Jesus Christ. There are many ways that people tell the story of God and God's people. Lots of ways people tell that story. Some are really beautiful and wonderful and good and life-giving, and some are not. Many of us have been presented with a version of faith, maybe two. I mean, we think of all the thousands of different theologies present in our country, the hundreds of denominations, the different branches of Christianity that exist right here in our own town, and we've probably become familiar with something from one or two of them. I've seen the faith story really be taken in beautiful directions, and I've seen it be taken in really heartbreaking directions. I mean, if we're honest, we've all seen it taken in directions that more or less boils down to an us versus them, or an in versus out, or a saved versus not saved, or a winners versus losers kind of presentation. We've seen faith presented this way. And the funny thing is, people try to, with a straight face, say it's good news. Yeah, you with me? I've seen the faith story be taken in dangerous directions. Dangerous directions. People have killed each other over their faith. Right? People have bombed abortion clinics in the name of God. People have gone to war. War in the name of God. The Ku Klux Klan 
had a foundation in Scripture and faith, at least a version of it. Today, there are groups that we know of, that we hear, that, that protest and picket or, or at least call people together in different groups to demonize other groups of people who demonize them based on creed or based on sexuality or based on whatever, skin color. They demonize them in the name of faith in Jesus Christ. It's dangerous and heartbreaking. I've seen people depict God's and God in different ways. I've seen people depict God as an angry judge who's quite happy to send a vast majority of the people that have ever been born or existed to an eternal existence of torment that goes forever, all based on decisions made, relatively speaking, in a blip of time, ignoring the complexities of those individuals' stories, the complexities we all wrestle with. I've seen God also depicted a thousand times as simply a grander version of the depictor. Amen? I mean, don't we all do this? Isn't it funny how we depict God? God is usually in full agreement with us. Yes. Can you think of anything that God is not in agreement with you on? Or do you think, no, no, pretty much God's in agreement with me. We all depict God. We tend to. It's tempting to depict God as a grander version of what we already think and know. And these are depictions that we find in Scripture, too. We do. We find them again and again. The story is told over and over and over about a people called, and then they turn God into something else until they find themselves in a big mess. And we can witness the same story in our own lifetime. Many of the efforts to tell the grand story of God and God's people is usually so many times done simply to affirm the life that the group of people telling the story is already living. Because we like comfort. We like familiar. We like to think that everything we do is how it's always been done. We like to think that God is on our side. Amen? It's comforting. It's like a, a football game or a basketball game or any sporting event where two teams or opposing sides are on opposite sides of the court or the field, both praying to God to bring them victory. And then the winning team always thinks their prayer was answered. I don't know if the losing team feels that their defeat was what God intended. If they thank God for the defeat, I don't know. But the same goes for war. The opposing sides are all praying to the divine, thinking the divine is on their side and going to bless them because, of course, the divine thinks like us. We're all really similar, really, people, humanity. We're very similar. We all make decisions based on what we think is best in the moment, don't we? I mean, have you, can you name the last time you made a decision that you, you didn't think was really the best decision for you? Why would you make it if you didn't feel it was the best? And I can, I can think of one of my children telling a lie. You know, I come into the room and something's happened that shouldn't have happened. They know it shouldn't have happened, and yet it happened. And I ask them, what happened? And in their little minds, I see the wheels spinning, and they're thinking, well, if I tell what really happened, that's going to be really bad for me. I'm going to get in trouble. I don't want to be in trouble, so I'll just lie. Because that gives me the best chance at something better. And we all live through that, whether we've stolen or struggled or simply ignored the opportunity to live sacrificially as the church. Truth be told, friends, we make quite a mess of things when we just focus on ourselves. Amen? 
I don't think it's just me. It's quite easy to live in our own world and ignore the needs of others and then to come up with lots of good reasons why it's okay to do that. We all do this. There are places around the world right now dealing with famine. Millions of people in the midst of famine right now. I don't see that on the news very often because we don't want to deal with that. It makes us uncomfortable. We might have to, be, might have to feel like we need to do something and, and that would require us to do something of ourselves for others and that's hard. It's not the natural tendency. Certainly outside of the church and sometimes inside of the church too, if we're honest. There are places where this famine and war is happening because the people in charge who are supposed to take care of everybody and their tribe and their jurisdiction, they aren't. All the, these situations, the, the corrupt and the, the victims, they're all trying to live the best that they know how to live, at least through their own perspective, their own distorted view of things, their own ignorance, because we all operate with ignorance. We all work very hard to see the world as we believe it is. Many of us grew up in the faith, and we're told this is how it is. And we were even maybe made afraid to question how it is. And so we've grown up learning how to take our experiences and fit them in to how we've been told it is. Because it makes us feel in control when we understand what's happening. We don't like change. None of us do, because it's a sense of loss of control. We like familiar. We like comfortable. We approach our lives this way and we fear anything that challenges it. We work very hard putting everything into these nice, neat, and labeled categories as been given to us for the sake of feeling under control and safe. Until something comes along in life that completely we can't fit into our categories and labels. It operates outside of these things and then we're really really in a pickle. We're really in a place where we don't know what to do. And it's really unnerving and unsettling and causes anxiety and hurt and harm. And so we go one of two ways. We find somebody to make it all fit for us. And sometimes if we're lucky enough, we can find a leader that will stand up and on behalf of us all fit everything into these nice labels. And if we find a leader like that, well, my goodness, we're happy to pay them and do whatever we can to keep them leading and talking. Or we open ourselves to a new way of thinking, a way that's beyond our categories and labels. We have a whole Bible full of stories of human beings doing exactly what I've just been illustrating. Everything's good for a while and then it's not and then there's a decision to make. We find in the scripture stories of God at work connecting with the people. God. You know, we go all the way back to Exodus and we can find that God is freeing them, liberating them, feeding them, giving them drink, providing for them, leading them, instructing them, promising them. And as soon as the people feel in control or don't like where God's taking them, which makes them feel out of control, then they turn and go their own way. They do their own thing because God's categories can be quite inconvenient at times if you're used to serving yourself. Amen? God is liberating and providing, and God is a good God, and God has always been asking people, the people of God, the church, us, to liberate and provide and be good to the world around us, to everything and everyone, to be good to the earth and its resources on behalf of the whole world. But that requires that people serve God rather than ourselves, and this is our struggle. 
to trust God's story rather than our own, to be willing to be led beyond our comfort zone and control and labels and categories so that God can continue to lead us into something new that often challenges our labels and categories. Time and time again, people turn away in Scripture. They turn their own way. It becomes apparent in Scripture that people are going to continue to struggle with this same story again and again. They'll know enough from God to have a better way at taking the story and twisting it to serve their point and purpose rather than God's. Instead of liberating and providing for and being good to creation, they hoard. They draw lines of division and they mark us versus them in and out winner, loser, saved, unsaved. And, and they ignore those on the margins. They ignore the vulnerable. They become mesmerized by their own sense of personal success and blessing until suddenly the whole thing's a big mess. And then they're scratching their heads wondering how that happened. Why is it all a mess? What's going on? God help us. And it's in those moments they're finally ready to give God control until they get back in a comfort zone and then the story repeats. It becomes apparent that humans are going to struggle with this story again and again. What it's going to take, we eventually see, it's going to take God coming to show us the right way in the most tangible means necessary, which is a living, breathing, blood and bone and sweat and breath human being, Jesus Christ. We can think about all of this through our own sense of right and wrong, this struggle and what we need. And we can judge each other and ourselves. We can condemn each other and ourselves by our own categories, our own labels, our own way of thinking, by our own sense of control. We can do that. We can follow suit. Or we can truly give. Give all control and give ourselves and submit and surrender to God's way as a whole people. Control of how we even understand God and the story. Because maybe, maybe that's bigger than we've allowed it to be. Our passage today is the story of some religious leaders, much like pastors or deacons. And they're coming to put John, the character in the scripture, to the test. They come to question him. They have a strong sense of categories on the work of God and how it happens. And they want to know if John measures up. Does John fit into their categories or not? The entire prologue of this fourth gospel is a beautiful tapestry of poetry and prose offering the first century and the 21st century the opportunity to be open to something entirely new that exists outside of the categories and labels and sense of control that they've developed. That something called the word and the light is coming. God's truth and grace is coming through this word and this light. And John, this first human character in the fourth gospel, is witnessing to the light. Witnessing. Witnessing. Witnessing is important. You hear the word ten times more in this fourth gospel than all the other gospels combined. Because witnessing is important. These leaders come to John and question him. Do you fit? And John does his best to witness to an entirely new way of understanding the whole thing, the whole system, the whole mess of categories. And you'll hear the struggle in the story.
John 1, 6 through 8, 19 through 28. A man named John was sent from God. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him everyone would believe in the light. He himself wasn't the light, but his mission was to testify concerning the light. This is John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him, Who are you? John confessed. He didn't deny, but confessed. I'm not the Christ. They asked him, Then who are you? Are you Elijah? John said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? John answered, Nope. They answered, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied, I am a voice crying out in the wilderness. Make the Lord's path straight, just as the prophet Isaiah said. Those sent by the Pharisees ask, Why do you baptize if you aren't the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered, I baptize with water. Someone greater stands among you whom you don't recognize. He comes after me, but I'm not worthy to untie his sandal straps. This encounter took place across the Jordan in Bethany where John was baptizing. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You feel the tension in the story. It's the same tension we all have. And I think that's why the gospel is constructed this way, because it's confronting us in the same way. It's a tension of what we expect and how we understand it. And are we open to something new? Because I guarantee you it's bigger than you currently understand it. It's bigger than I currently know it. There is more God wants us to see. And we can stand here today and look back at the first century and their mess. And my goodness, were they in a mess. I mean, Israel itself was in a mess. And this time there's a tension right below the surface of the people. There are groups that are starting to attack and revolt and swell and, and plan and conspire against the corrupt king, Herod, and uh, against his sons that are in charge during the lifetime of Jesus. And this boiling of the people erupts just a few decades after the Jesus story where there's civil war and fighting and multiple groups present in the temple all hoarding and dividing and, and killing each other, all claiming power until Rome finally comes and annihilates all of them and everything. That's the mess that occurred before the writing of this gospel, but after the story takes place. Talk about a mess. All of the people in charge, Israel and Herod's sons and Rome and Caesar, they, they all are claiming divine authority is behind them. They're taking the Lord's name for their own vanity, and it's just making their mess bigger. How easy God could have looked at the first century and what's happening and said, enough, I'm out of here. And by my own sense of categories and labels and worldview, I think I could actually understand that response. Because how many times are you going to watch the same story play out? How many times are you going to hear the same excuses? What gives hope? But God does not think like I think. God, as we come to find out in a letter that comes a little later in our New Testament by the same name as this gospel, God is love. Love. And that's our theme this week. That's our candle that we lit. God is love and not love like we know love. 
What I mean by that is we have this word L-O-V-E means lots of different things. We love Christmas time. We love Christmas songs. We love Christmas food. We love family. We love our partner. We love our friends. But none of these loves are the same as the love that we find in the New Testament. They aren't. In English, we have the one word, L-O-V-E. In Greek, there are several that we translate as the one, L-O-V-E. And so I've seen people do just terrible things to each other in my lifetime, in the room I was in, do terrible things to each other, say terrible things, think terrible things, take terrible action, and then say, I love them, I love you. It's as if they had a clue what love really is. They mean well, but they had a different set of categories and labels to understand what love is, at least the way we find it in Scripture. The love we find in Scripture is almost exclusively, like 98% of the time in the New Testament, you see the word L-O-V-E, it means agape. Agape. Agape love is self-sacrificial self-sacrificial. Another way to say it is you give of yourself to another expecting nothing in return. You give of yourself to another expecting nothing in return or laying down one's life for another. Agape love. The good news is that God loved Israel and God loved the rest of the world too according to chapter 3, verse 16 of this gospel. This particular word, world, means the whole thing. Even more specifically, that beyond Israel. God loves the whole thing, the whole world. God loved Israel. His love is so grand and great and beyond our ability to control or contain or, or pare down to particular categories. <laughs> that even despite the repetitiveness of the continual human flailing to truly do what God is asking, God still comes in Jesus Christ. God still comes as the word and flesh to tabernacle among us, to show us the way, to bring the light and the life and the grace and the truth. God still comes. This love is so strong that God comes knowing that coming in Jesus Christ, that people are going to come to the bearer, to the revealer of the light and the life, and they're going to reject him. And by their own categories and labels, they're going to call him evil. They're going to reject him, arrest him, beat him, kill him. And God still loved enough to bring redemption and reconciliation to the entire world and everyone in it through the resurrection. Now, I know you may be kind of hung up on that everything and everyone. That's not the story I've been told. I understand. It's not the categories I was given either. I don't even understand it. But when we look at this amazing story and this incredible gospel, it is quite clear. God is love. And that love is revealed in the light and life of the word and flesh, Jesus Christ. Jesus constantly breaks the expectation and goes beyond the boundaries and labels and categories that we expect. That's why they struggled with even the bearer 
of the good news of Jesus. They struggled with John. They didn't know what to do with him. But it's all good news, friends, because like God loved Israel, God loves us and God loves this world. Yes, even this world and everything and everyone in it loves agapes. The light and life of God floods us with the agape of God if we but let him in Jesus Christ. The light in the life is Jesus Christ floods us with the agape of God. To know the agape of God. To become bearers of the agape of God. As we consider all the categories and labels and traditions and sense of control this Advent season, you're invited to look beyond all the stories that you're going to hear, all the songs you'll sing, the movies you'll see, the candles you'll light, the trees you'll plug in, and all the lights that you will witness. Because all of these things were created originally to point to what's most important. The reason we use evergreen, the reason we use lights, is to dispel death and dispel darkness because that's the story of God's love back then, now, and forevermore. You are invited to receive the witness of all the lights dispelling the darkness and death. This is a sign of God's great love entering into our dark world to reveal the light that's already within us, that we might shine and bear witness ourselves to the world around of this good news, that we may shine that light as it was always intended, that we may live into a different story besides the one that seems to repeat itself again and again for the blessing of the entire world, everything and everyone, that we might receive the anointing of God's love and spirit upon us, given to us through that Holy Spirit as a church, as the body of Christ, that we might be the bearers of good news to the world around us because there are many people today who are hungry and hurting and oppressed, who are labeled as them and out and losers and damned. And there are so many people right in our own community, right in your own family who have been given another message about this God that's anything but love. The people that are in control today are so good at marketing this faith in different ways and and following those same stories that they market this L-O-V-E as anything but self-sacrificing and they have anything but giving without expecting something in return. We live in a world where people are poor, they are brokenhearted, they are hated and imprisoned, just like the Isaiah passage alludes to and let us proclaim the good news to them. Let us proclaim the good news of the love of God given to us in Jesus Christ, that they may come to know that light as well, that they may come to recognize it in themselves and in others, that they may come to see the church truly agape love as God loves, that they might finally be set free, released, liberated from the very categories and labels that, if we're honest, imprison us all both the labeler and the labelee, that we may all come to know, to know, to know the true agape love of God given to us in that precious manger so long ago, that that same love can be birthed within us again this season 
because we can finally see the witness of so many who have walked before us and who have told the story and lived out the story of God's great love that we may know of that love this season. Because friends, we need that love. We need that love. And the world needs that love. And we are so blessed to know that God loved us enough to come and tell us. And it is our turn to go and bless and tell of the good news ourselves. Witness to it in all you are and in all you do. Amen. We thank you for joining us today. And it is our hope that you have experienced the blessing of God through our time together. If you'd like to know more about our church community and its ministries, visit our website at sellersburgumc.com 